0: So let us turn, first of all, to John 21, and I'll read uh, verses 1 through 15. We're going to focus especially on verses 10 and 12. Uh, John 21, 1 through 15. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself uh, Simon Peter, Thomas, called the Twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples, were gathered together. Simon Peter said to them, "I am going fishing." They said to him, "We are going with you, all, or with, with you also." They went out and immediately got into the boat, and the, that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, and uh, yet his disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, "Children." Have you any food? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the nets, or the net with the fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish uh, which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land f- full of large fish, 153, and although There were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish. Now this is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, Son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And then we transition to Acts chapter 1, where I will read um, the first 10 verses. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive After his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when you have come together, they asked him, saying, "Lord, with you at this time will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel?" And he said to them, "It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in His own authority, but you shall receive power." when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken uh, these things while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight, and while they looked steadily toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Let us uh, give thanks for God's reading and uh, now consider these texts as well as the Lord's Supper, which is spread before us. The title of the sermon is The Mysterious Kingdom Meal. These three things are linked together in these two scriptures and then some others that I will share with you. And they, that is the, the work of Christ, uh, meals with Christ, and the kingdom. Christ. The work of Christ, meals with Christ, and the kingdom of Christ. And uh, it's just so interesting to see these themes come together as Jesus appears to them after he has been resurrected. And in this text, we see that he ascends uh, at the end of the Acts passage, he ascends into heaven to be at the right hand of God the Father. And it's so interesting that he that he combines these things the his work his uh, his redemption meals that he provides for his people and then talk of the kingdom of christ we, we don't often talk about the kingdom of christ that much when we when we have communion we focus more upon the redemption that is symbolized in the meal but we see here from this passage that the the idea of the kingdom the thoughts of the kingdom were very much upon the minds of the disciples. Now, in this case, it appears that they had some uh, some errant ideas about the kingdom. But Jesus doesn't totally dismiss their ideas about the kingdom. He just says that they're a little bit that they don't fully understand them. And so, uh, he he endorses this idea of the, the kingdom being associated with his work. And uh, and then, time and time again, in the in these passages, we see that. There's a focus upon the meal, a meal together, which he then gives to us today, set before us, uh, which is the, the Lord's Supper or the Communion. And I would argue that when we take Communion, we ought to have these uh, number of these thoughts together in our minds, and we ought to we ought to realize that this is a mystical meal. The Holy Spirit is present with us, and the Lord gives us this meal as a comfort to us and uh, a consideration. He wants us to consider his redemption. He also wants us to consider uh, his uh, eating with us and his uh, his participation with us in an intimate thing like a meal. And he also wants us to think that as we do this meal, which seems to be the height of parochialism, here we are, we're gathered together in this smaller gathering here today, and it doesn't seem like we're doing anything really grand or really kingdom oriented. To use the word kingdom is as uh, we wonder, are, are we even being appropriate here? Uh, do, it does the, can this meal have anything to do with the kingdom of God in a larger, far reaching way? But of course it does, because as the, as the Lord comes to us in faith and as he affects our lives individually, and as we then take his revelation, his Bible, his scriptures, and we apply that to our lives, there are tremendous differences and tremendous consequences to that. The whole of Western Christendom began with uh, with the really this um, outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, uh, so that we see the different countries of the world and the West have been Influence. We prayed this morning about Japan and the Orient. We know that despite the terrible outbreaks of Marxism in places like uh, Vietnam and, um, and Burma, we, we know that the Lord has been working. And you can't go anywhere in the world today hardly where you do not have some representations of the Lord Jesus Christ. But all of that began with the faith that the Holy Spirit worked in the lives and the hearts of certain people, beginning with the apostles here, but then, uh, but then moving out. And so if we look at uh, John 21, first of all, we look at, I want you to keep these three themes in mind, of the work of Christ, meals with Christ, and the kingdom of Christ. As we look at John 21, <clears throat> uh, we see, here that Jesus definitely speaks of his resurrection, or it's it's it's, uh, it's 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 eminently sensible because he he has come. He was they saw him crucified and dead and buried, and now here he is talking to them. We see that he also provides a meal for them at, on this occasion. So he doesn't just show himself; he doesn't doesn't just reveal himself to be the resurrected Lord, but he comes to Encourages people with blessing and fellowship. First of all, he helps them to catch the fish, and it's the, this is a, a, a this is a miracle because they'd fished all night with not getting anything. Now you think that if they if they if they suddenly ran into uh, a time of prosperity, that maybe they'd start catching one fish here or one fish there. But no, see Jesus says, go to the other side of the boat. Uh, it's an amazing thing that they even followed his. Uh, directions or encouragements. I think the typical fisherman would probably swear at the guy on the shore and say, "You know, go do your own thing. Don't bother us. We're we're fi- we're fishermen. We we may not be good fishermen, but we uh, we've we've plied these waters. We know that we know our craft as well as can be known." But no, they they follow his words and they threw the nets on the other side, and all of a sudden the, the nets are tre- teeming with this tremendous bounty. And of course, this is representative of the the bounty that uh, Christ will provide them for their own uh, their own redemption. It, it, but it also, it's also indicative of the kingdom, and that's what, that which was about to take place in the next book of the Book of Acts, where the church moves from individual people that are reborn and come to faith in Christ to the, they're building churches, and the churches spreading out around the world and of the tremendous bounty that we would see with christ the 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 book of acts represents uh, or is the fulfillment in some senses of these nets that were filled with fish as soon as they followed the the word of christ and uh, uh, in this then uh, 19 and 20 he commissions them um, and uh, we we see the commissioning in the passage just before verse 21 Uh, verse 19 to 21 in chapter 20 um, where um, he said to them in verse 20 uh, he showed them his hands and his side and then he said in verse 21 peace be with you as the Father has sent me so I send you and when he had said this he breathed on them and said to them receive the Holy Spirit if you forgive the sins of any they are forgiven if you retain the sins of any they are retained so he commissions them in chapter 20, and then in chapter 21, uh, he makes an appearance before them, shows them that he's not dead, but he's fully alive, he's fully active, and he's, he's even in a more powerful state than he was before, because they can still see his body, but it's a body that has a special endowments with it. It's able to rise from the dead, it's able to come and speak with them, it's able to prepare fish for them, and yet it's also a body we see in Acts chapter 1, that is able to ascend into the heavens. So Jesus has these great endowments that have come from his uh, redemption. And he begins to apply them to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 1, then we look at that and we see, uh, again, another resurrection appearance. Um, uh, We see him speaking about the kingdom in verse 3 and also verse 6. Verse verse 3, he says, um, being seen by them during the forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So Jesus himself brings up this, this idea of the kingdom of God. And um, the, the, the the one of the great problems I see in the modern church is that we we are quick to talk about individual redemption, individual salvation but we're very slow to talk about the kingdom of God. And even today, one of the things that Christianity is most embarrassed about is the term Christendom, because that that represents the culture of Christ, the culture of the, the Holy Spirit affecting people and then that changing our lives and then people being linked together in the church. And the church, as it, as it lives and moves and has its being, uh, begins to have a, 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 an impact like the leaven and the loaf on um, the society around it and uh so we're quick today in the evangelical church we're quick to talk about the individual dimensions of salvation but we're, we're rather slow we're almost embarrassed because if we if we talk about the kingdom aspects or the cultural aspects of the gospel then uh, then we might have to talk about our failures or our, the difficulties of the kingdom so uh, in many ways we we've lost this kingdom dimension uh, to faith that Jesus uh, spoke about. If you if you read the Gospels, I've spoken about this before, but if you read the Gospels, you find out that Jesus, all Jesus speaks about in the first half to two thirds of the Gospel is the kingdom of God. He doesn't really speak about um, individual salvation in, in any elaborate way. But then after the, after the Gospel moves moves. Uh, it progresses more than halfway through, then he begins speaking more about that. So our Lord Jesus Christ was very concerned about the overall influence of the Lord, and especially his ministry. He came not to just change a few individuals here and there, but he came to reverse the fall. He came that paradise might be regained. He came that the glory of the Father might extend and be revealed upon the whole creation he grants satan not one square inch abraham kuyper said not one square inch of the creation because the creation is the lord's is of him and through him and to him and so as we come and we eat this meal today the meal itself it's we we take the meal in the most parochial or narrow-minded uh dimensions in some senses it's Here, it's a small group. We're we're here just one day of the week. We don't don't do this every week. We do it four times a year. And yet, this meal has tremendous signification for the spreading of the gospel and the raising up of the influence of the Lord. The Father has sent the Son into this world to redeem the world for himself, despite the fall, despite Satan, despite the weakness of men despite their passions and their lusts, and all of these things, Christ will overcome all by the word of his power and by the ministry that he gives to his people. Um, and uh, In Acts chapter 14, we see another passage, Acts 14, Mark 14, 22 through 27, um, this is Mark's rendition of the upper room in preparation for the Lord's Supper. Let me read that. And As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink uh, of the fruit of the vine. <coughs> Until that day when I drink it, new, in what? In the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And the word hymn there is a, a synonym for uh, singing a song. Uh, so um, here in the, uh, in the words of the Lord's Supper in Mark, and we see the same thing in, uh, in Luke and in Matthew, uh, we see these words, uh, and they—they they all. He repeats this idea of the kingdom of God that he's going to—that he's—that he's, he's going to prepare a place for them, and that—that that there will be another, an eternal communion above, which will be uh, amazing. So again, here in the in the book of uh, in Mark 14, we see uh, we see the supper, we see the kingdom, and we see this future meal with the disciples as a a focus in Luke 22, uh, Luke 22, 28 through 30. Jesus says to them, to the disciples, but you are those who have continued with me in my trials and I bestow upon you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one upon me that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on the thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, we don't know exactly what this means. What will sit on the thrones of Israel and, and, and judge. Uh, but it's certainly a, re- a representation or an association with the rule of a kingdom. And Jesus uh, indicates that this is tied in with this whole ministry that he's giving to his church. So, again, it's not parochial at all. It, it It's indicative that there are really big plans that Jesus has for his kingdom, for his people. In Revelation 3.20, I was struck by this reference to these themes. Revelation 3.20, the famous passage, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. So, I, had never, I'd, I just had forgotten that there was this association between Christ beckoning to us to come into our lives and to, to uh, uh, open ourselves to him and this idea that he would uh, prepare a meal for us, that he would, he would dine with him and, and he with us uh, based upon our openness to the gospel. So and and every that's just a famous verse that is always associated with evangelism and with talking to people about the Lord and opening their lives to him, considering the gospel, taking it seriously, and that kind of thing. We see that that, too, has something to do with uh, uh, eating a meal with him, having fellowship with him. And, of course, a meal is a wonderful way to have fellowship. We ought to have meals with each other. Within the church, we probably don't have enough. But these things are all indicative of a fellowship with Christ and fellowship with each other. And, um, and then we come to 1 Corinthians 11, which we'll be reading in just a bit when we institute the Lord's Supper. and we see there that um, the Lord goes over the rules of this meal. Um, he proclaims it, He gives us He gives us a kingdom meal to eat until he consummates his kingdom uh, his eternal kingdom so the meal is is uh, the meal is meant to stir us up to get us to think about these wider things to get us to see to, to think about and to consider the great power of Christ upon us our lives and upon uh, this world of ours and it reminds us does it not of the meals that the Lord gave His Old Testament people. We think of Israel coming out of Egypt, and there was a rock that followed them wherever they went and provided water for the people of Israel. And then there was the manna, there was the food that God rained down from heaven. So God has been from the from way back. God has been providing His people with a meal to encourage them of His love and His fellowship with them, and that those. Those Old Testament pointers certainly point to this meal that we have today before us and encourage us to to eat and to drink both the righteousness of Christ to ourselves and to our own lives, and also to think more grandly about it. This is a victory meal, this is a kingdom meal. Uh, It was given to us by the King, King Jesus. It was given to us after his success on the cross, after his resurrection. An ascension, it's given to us so that we might eat together, but as we eat this parochial meal, that we might think in the widest possible expansive way about his influence and about the power of redemption, not just here, but even unto the eternal kingdom of God. I don't know about you, but I find that tremendously exciting. Uh, the Lord gives us this small kind of tiny meal, And yet he wants us, he wants our minds to fantasize about the success of his kingdom. Uh, Are you thinking in that way about yourself in your own life? Or are you defeatist and saying, oh, I just can't overcome these sins in my life. I can't, my lack of focus upon Christ, it's just too much for me. You know, uh, I'm limited by my own reservations, my own weaknesses. There's just... uh, you know, I know you've you healed people, you brought people from the dead, Jesus, but I'm a hard case. I'm just, you, you, you won't be successful for me. No! The Lord is calling you to see past your imperfections, past your weaknesses. He's calling you to fantasize about the successes of His redemption, and uh, especially in terms of the kingdom. And He's calling us to do the same thing for, not just for ourselves, But for our families, why do we have such limited thoughts about our families? Very often when children come and they have big dreams and things like that, we we tell them, oh, you you probably can't do that. Don't 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 think too big. Don't don't fantasize too much about your success with Christ because of the problems of your life, because of your sin, because of this and because of that. Christ would just have us to think totally differently. He has come that we might have a life and that we might have it abundantly. Yes, we can't presume upon our success. We can't get mad at him if we're not as successful as we think we ought to be. But we ought to be hopeful and we ought to be looking forward to the success of Christ working in us, in our families, in our communities, and in our country, much less the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So mm, we have every... Um, we have every instigation and every encouragement to, to, to realize that Christ is calling us to uh, bigger things uh, with our lives. And he's given us the Lord's Supper as a means of grace so that we can be strengthened by the Supper and enabled uh, by the Supper to um, go forward with our lives. And be blessed through it. It's really a means of grace, and uh, it uh, it's, it's given to us uh, in in Acts chapter one that we read. Jesus speaks about the baptisms twice, They're reminding us of one means of grace uh, that we have that uh, he mentions there. But where he mentions one, the other is close by, and so these these means or these instruments of grace. Are there and God means them for us and he God, God means them to encourage us And to be hopeful about it. So let us stir one another up as the Bible says To love and good works. Let us stir one another up uh, Let us not be naysayers, but let us be hopeful in the gospel of Christ uh, We know that we're not fully redeemed today But we know that we shall be fully redeemed tomorrow. And between today and tomorrow, there's a lot of room and a lot of opportunity for growth in this world and in the lives that the Lord has given us.